Guys, welcome to the I Love Seville Show. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us. A good Friday afternoon to you. Um, today's show is busy with information and news as Almaro County presents its budget, um, the school system, to leadership, to elected officials. A 4% budget increase being proposed so far. Almaro County Public Schools asking specifically for $257,300,000 to fund schools um, in the next fiscal year. We'll talk about the budget, we'll unpack it. I'm all for giving teachers more money. I'm all for giving the 2,700 employees in Almaro County Public School System more money. Uh, I am all for making quality of life better for the 2,700 employees in this school system because I hear from them and they say their quality of life is suffering. We'll talk about that on today's program. We will also chitter chatter Charlottesville City Hall's affinity for consultants with a meme that was sent to us by a very valuable viewer and listener of this fine and fair talk show. I will respect this, per, this uh, individual's anonymity who created the meme, but we will show the meme nevertheless on today's program. Student Council at the University of Virginia is now politicking university leadership and is saying, hey, UVA, UVA brass, it's time you open up the purse and start contributing money to Charlottesville for affordable housing, for improvement, capital improvement, and to schools. Yes, UVA Student Council is now an advocate for a payment in lieu of taxes program between the University of Virginia, the city of Charlottesville specifically. I'll have one word of advice for student council. Make sure you're advocating and lobbying for Almoral County as well. Almoral County, UVA, is technically in Almoral County. Um, and while Charlottesville, its biggest landlord is the University of Virginia, Almoral County's biggest property owner is probably UVA as well, although I'm curious uh, where Wendell stacks up on, on that list. A lot we're going to cover on today's program, including what Judah Wickhauer learned this week, some chitter-chatter of upzoning and land use and real estate development on today's program, what I learned this week, and Notre Dame visits the John Paul Jones Arena tomorrow for a 12 o'clock tip on a game that's nationally televised on ESPN2, UVA and Tony Bennett continue to impress me and look like a Final Four team, knock on wood. Judah Wickhauer is our director. Let's go to the two-shot as I give props to the Clifton for being a presenting partner of today's show. The Clifton and Keswick, Judah, you've seen it firsthand. We've had dinner there, um, happy hour memorable dinner. The cuisine mm -hmm. is delightful. Oh. Staff is well-versed, experienced, and talented. And the ambiance, Judah Wickhauer, second to none. Yeah. The uh, cuisine is amazing. I was, uh, I was blown away. And, uh, I mean, it's just a all-around great place. Beautiful views, beautiful buildings, amazing food, and an the chitter chatter, an incredibly well stocked bar. The chitter chatter in Keswick says Judah Wickhauer, when he dines at the Clifton, gets a bottle of wine. That's the chitter chatter in, in Keswick circles. My friend, was it a Bordeaux, a Merlot, 
of Chardonnay. What did you order? You know, uh, I remember it was red, but uh, it was delicious. How's that? <laughs> little else other than that, it was it was very good. Let's talk um, teachers. Um, a lot of them watch this program. We love teachers. Where if you listen to the I Love Seville show, you know I'm a huge fan of huge proponent of collective bargaining for the teachers, especially since Charlottesville City Schools are going to have this option. If Albemarle County Schools do not have the option of collective bargaining for its roughly 2,700 employees, I can assure you some of those employees will quit and they will head to school districts where collective bargaining is allowed. First, we talk numbers, Judo. The budget, we have an idea, at least the early stage, of what the school system is looking for. Superintendent Matthew Haas is asking for $257,300,000 for the school division in the 2023-2024 school year. That's a 4% increase from last year where the school system got $246,500,000. It's important to educate the community. Jurisdictions, by far, their most expensive light item and the budget every year is funding schools. And Almaro County is no different. Almaro County has a yearly budget just over 500 million. We're talking 257 million, 300,000 potentially for the schools in Almaro. We're looking at raises for teachers. The proposed budget would give a 5% increase of compensation for all staff. 5% increase. This gets back to the conversation that you've brought up. The 5% increase, not keeping up potentially with inflation. Just a perfect example that no one's getting raises that keep up with inflation. Or very few people are getting raises to keep up with inflation. Small businesses and government alike. Um, You also heard that from Alex Erpe. Um, So I I, want to take a deep dive before we get to the school resource officer conversation, which I think there should be a school resource officer in every school. Yeah, I think I at surpri- least middle school and high school. I was surprised. Did, did I read this right, that the uh, the school resource officer is going to be for the entirety of uh, Albemarle County? Um, the draft budget reserves 126000 for a school resource officer's salary and benefits. The officer would work at the 11 schools in the division's northern feeder pattern. One resource officer for 11 schools. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, come on. We, I think we can. I think we can probably say that not all of the schools need a school resource officer as much as some of the others may need one. I mean, Almore High School certainly needs one. But what really is the uh, the school resource officer expected to do in eleven schools? You can't. Nothing. You can't. I, I think uh, this is window dressing. Is what this is. This is Haas throwing a bone, saying, hey, 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 we're trying to get SROs back there. Yeah. One school resource officer for 11 schools in the division's northern feeder pattern? I mean, come on. Albert Graves, Warrior AG, who's watching on Twitter, he says the same thing. This is absolutely bogus. Yeah. Chance, absolutely bogus. The chances of the SRO being anywhere where anything is happening are, I believe, slim to none for one person in 11 mm-hmm. schools. And to even, I think, to even impact the uh, uh, the students in terms of uh, in terms of 
being visible enough for them to care, for them to uh, maybe curtail some of the uh, some of the more uh, felonious. What's the what's a good word? Uh, felonious supplies, <laughs> concerning. Yeah, some violent. Of the, some of the behaviors. Criminal. That, some of the behaviors that uh, that we hear assault going on in the schools. Um, out of the county uh, school board um, administrators and the board of supervisors will now work in conjunction as they look to finalize the budget. If I'm an Almoral County Board of Supervisor, I would specifically say this. Show me in this budget how you're going to solve school bus driver transportation issues. You got three, you got three big concerns here. Concern number one is kids getting late to school and getting late home. The yeah. school bus driver issue has not resolved. Right. It's still a problem. Mm-hmm. Second issue you have that's very concerning is the safety and quality of life of, of students in the hallways, bathrooms, and classrooms in schools. That's where the SRO could come into play. And then the third is a concerning trend of teachers so disenchanted or disenfranchised or disheartened or dispirited that they're considering quitting, leaving the profession, or heading to private schools. Those are your and three some, problems. And some already have. And some already have. Okay? So if I'm the board of supervisor, and I'm talking with the school board, and I'm talking with Dr. Haas and Dr. Haas's cabinet, I look Dr. Haas in the eye, and I look the uh, school board in the eye and say, how, if I approve this budget, will it solve the school transportation bus driver shortage problems? You hold the money, you wait to approve it, until you get a straight answer that this issue has been resolved. Because, Judah, if we head into next year and we still don't have enough bus drivers, and Kevin Higgins, who watches this fine and fair talk show in Greenwood, the mayor of Greenwood, if he continues to send us every day, and he sends us every day notifications that the bus that picks up the students in Greenwood, I can go straight to my DMs. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it right now. I'm looking up Kevin Higgins. I'm seeing the screenshots. Western Henley Bus 179 will be late again this morning. He says the kids are missing a third of the year being late to school, riding the school bus. If you're a board of supervisor and you're not getting a straight-up answer from Matthew Haas or from the school board on transportation, you don't approve the budget. Am I wrong with that? Is that asking too much? No, I don't think so. Right? Get the kids to school on time. Get them home on time. If I give you $257 million, will the kids get to school on time? They've raised bus driver pay from $16.50 an hour starting to $21.50. Yeah. They got a, a five-buck increase. Still, that hasn't fixed the problem. Well... Has not fixed the problem. You can't expect bus drivers to just pop out of thin air because the... Maybe the solution is the private sector. Could be. Maybe it's a joint venture with a public-private partnership. Do not go into another school year with this bus driver problem. If you are, you're doing the kids and the families a disservice. And the ones you're really doing a disservice to are those that are on the financial margin... One-parent households, two-parent households, where both parents or one parent are working and they can't drive their kids to school. Yeah. It's not the wealthy kids that are struggling here because one of their parents is driving them to school. 
They ain't missing the class, the classroom time. It's the financial margin that is. Hmm. And that has generational impacts. Because last, last, last I heard, education helps you climb the vertical ladder of uh, profession and the finances that go with it. My problem with the budget, give teachers more money. The 5% is not enough. They're already underpaid and overworked. Yeah, somebody made a good point in the article that, uh, and, and we all know this, uh, if, you're, if your pay raise... It was Mary McIntyre who watches this show, yeah. listens to this show. Mary, are you watching right now, M-Squared? She's, she's driving the charge on collective bargaining. M-Squared, are you watching right now? She watches and listens to the show routinely. I text with her often. She, her point is, should I read the quote? Yeah. I'll read the quote. I'll throw it back to you. She says, while we are definitely grateful for a 5% raise, any raise that's below the rate of inflation will make our staff feel like we were making less money next year. Yeah. It's basically two steps forward and one step back. Especially when you're worried about your safety of your personal self in a classroom. Or, or you have to use your vacation and sit days for planning and school purposes. You, you get no lunch break. Yeah. And you're working longer hours than ever before. That's what's happening. Vaping, cell phones, fights, assaults, cussing, sex... No accountability, no expulsion. I mean, that's the world we are today in schools, right? Yeah. One SRO for 11 schools. That's a waste of money. Yeah. Take the 125000 that you allocated for the one SRO, school resource officer, for 11 schools and don't even spend it. Or give it to the teachers. Give it to the teachers. 125000 for that many teachers ain't going to do much. I know it's not going to do much, but I, I feel like the uh, um, <clears throat> I feel like the theme today should be uh, it's a good start. Ooh. For the whole show or just this topic? <laughs> I think the whole show. I mean, uh, you know, we're talking about the, uh, the UVA Student Council pushing for a pilot program. Let's go down that road. Jump in. Jump in. Bill McChesney, hello. Lisa Costello, hello. Um, Kevin Yancey, hello. Got six, eight, eight, nine cities in the Commonwealth of Virginia watching the I Love Seville show on our heat map. Let's go. Uh, so, yeah, the student, uh, the UVA Student Council, uh, I mean, this is amazing. And I, again, I, it's like uh, this is a step in the right direction. It's a good start. Uh, basically, what they're what they're what they voted on uh, after two weeks of debate was uh, to pass a resolution calling for the implementation of a, a payment payment in lieu of taxes program between the University of Virginia and the city of Charlottesville. Uh, the university is has let's see, it says nearly two thousand acres. Um, Value of roughly fifteen million, and uh, the student council is calling for an annual commitment of at least ten million dollars towards the city of Charlottesville. Now you got to caveat it by the year. That's why it's a good start. Okay, tell them. Uh, this, this is all according to the Cavalier Daily. Yeah, 
This is uh, by 2030. So, you know, seven years from now, the uh, university may be kicking it, kicking in some of that, uh, some of that. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, grant money. Uh, I think it's grant don- money. Donee money. Endowment. Endowment money. Yeah. I mean, I think they've got. I think I think they've got enough of it that ten million is a drop in the bucket, if I'm not mistaken. Ten million dollars is nothing. I think what's the UVA endowment? Like fourteen billion? Yeah. Viewers and listeners watching this show. What is the endowment? Fourteen billion, I think. Yeah. Ten million dollars is nothing. Yeah. Now, here's the catch. It's in perpetuity if this happens. Right. And it's every year. And here's another catch. If the University of Virginia does a pilot program, a payment in lieu of taxes program, you better believe the other public universities in the Commonwealth will be getting similar political pressure. So this could have a, a domino effect. Yeah. I would love to see from student council at UVA to in, include uh, Almoral County in the mix. Yeah. Because Almoral County, technically the University of Virginia is in Almoral County. Yeah, Lottie Murray, the planning commissioner, says this, most of UVA is in Almoral. Shouldn't they be paying us and not Charlottesville? That's exactly my point line. I think the payment in lieu of taxes program should be Charlottesville City and Almoral County. I think what's happened here is student council at UVA doesn't actually realize that University of Virginia, most of it's in Almoral. Yeah. They just think it's in Charlottesville. So maybe not as nuanced on this topic as they should be. Because if you're passing a resolution as student council, you should be including Charlottesville City and Almoral County in the mix. So that was clearly something missing from the, uh, the policy push from students. Mm-hmm. University of Virginia is now starting to feel this heat from Michael Payne and UVA students. I would love to see an Almoral County Board of Supervisor, either an incumbent or one seeking office, to continue the push of a pilot program with UVA. Yeah. Because <coughs> guess what's going to happen? UVA is going to keep buying real estate. Yeah. They're going to keep buying real estate, and they're going to keep taking it off the uh, tax rolls. Yeah. Um, Lonnie Murray, the planning commissioner, says, most people don't realize that as Charlottesville annexed Albemarle, it intentionally avoided annexing UVA because it would be a revenue loss. He's 100% right. 100% right. Smart guy, Lonnie Murray. So, student council, um, watching this fine and fair talk show, include Albemarle in the mix, keep the pressure going. Yeah. I love to see that timeline for the resolution shrink 20, 30, seven years from now, good Lord, this place is going to be even more expensive in seven years. At yeah. that point, go ahead. What is the, uh, what is the delay for? I, I don't know. I don't know what the delay is. Because here's the problem with seven years. Those pushing this policy now, you are going to be gone. They're going to be gone. So there's going to be no institutional memory to keep this effort going. Yeah. In seven years, you're going to have a completely, you're going to have folks on grounds that didn't even hear or know about this resolution. Yeah. That's what I'm worried about. Sounds like they're burgeoning politicians. Or maybe what UVA does is they know this and just like, this will quiet down. These guys are going to graduate. They'll yeah. get distracted. 
they'll figure something else out. Yeah. But we appreciate the effort. Yeah. Lonnie, you got to appreciate that effort, right? I appreciate, I will say this. I think the students at UVA are more civically engaged with community matters than when I was in school. Yeah, All well, I knew about with UVA when I was in school, my friends when I was in school, was the UVA bubble. That's it. I think with social media, smartphones, and technology, they are much more in, in touch with, with, with um, topics that matter in central Virginia. No I mean, doubt. students talking about affordable housing. Yeah. Students talking about a payment in lieu of taxes program. That's a, a, a nuanced 19 or 20-year-old. Yeah, no doubt. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. Certainly. Um, thoughts, viewers and listeners, put them in the feed. I'll relay it live on air. Um, I appreciate it when the planning commissioner, Lonnie Murray, who is a smart man, watches this fair and fine talk show. Um, do you have the meme? Lonnie, wait till you see this meme. We're not going to tell you who created this meme. One of the viewers and listeners of this show created this meme. We're going we're gonna to respect his anonymity. But boy, is this funny. You got that on screen? Uh, do you know? Put it on. Everybody look at the screen. Look at the screen. This is hilarious. Leave it on there. <laughs> this is a meme that's a zinger to Charlottesville City Hall. <laughs> How do I put this in perspective? Right now, let's leave it on screen. Carol Thorpe, is this not hilarious? <laughs> Charlottesville City, the Charlottesville City manager right now is a consulting group. The Robert Bob Group. Yeah. The Robert Bob Group and one of its team members, Michael Rogers, the current city manager. The current city manager, which is a consulting group, is hiring another consulting group to find a permanent city manager. So look at the meme. You hire a consulting firm to find a city manager. You hire a consulting firm to serve as a city manager. You hire a consulting firm to hire a city manager to replace the consulting firm. Then you hire a consulting firm to serve as city council. Is that what's next? I certainly hope not. Well, we have an open seat. Hey. Is Cena McGill's open seat going to go to a consulting firm? <laughs> Is the Robert Bob Group going to be uh, filling Cena McGill's seat? How many chairs would we need to add to the, uh, to the podium? To the dais. For the entire, for all the consult, this is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. What strikes you? What strikes you from this meme, Judah? It's just, it's genius. It's, uh, it's, it's like, uh, it's so sad. It's hilarious. It's like consulting firm inception. Yeah, it's so sad. It's hilarious. It's so sad. It's hilarious. Lonnie, I, I appreciate that. He said he's 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 uh, speaking as a citizen here and not as a planning planning commissioner. Um, I respect that line. We respect your uh, opinion trem tremendously on this show. Um, Vanessa Parkhill says, what part of the UVA budget will be cut if the payment in lieu of taxes program becomes a reality? It's easy for students living off of mom and dad's pocketbook to call for this payment. Will this raise tuition, causing more of a barrier of entry? Why aren't they calling for a reduction in tuition to make it more affordable and open up opportunities for lower-income families? This is a typical leftist socialist approach to the redistrib redistribution of wealth. What do you make of that? Unpack that one. That's the queen of Earliesville. 
The, I will say this, you read the Cavalier Daily article about the payment in lieu of taxes program, the students on council, the UVA students on council are saying, we will not accept the raising of tuition to cover the payment of lieu of taxes program. The students are demanding that UVA cut from another item um, instead of raising tuition to fund this program. Do you agree with this? Why isn't UVA Student Council calling for a reduction in tuition to make it more affordable and open up opportunities for lower income families? This is a typical leftist socialist approach to the redistribution of wealth. That's what Vanessa uh, commented. Do you agree with that, Judah? I'm, I'm curious of your thoughts on that. It seems like kind of a leap in logic to say that uh, to say that it's uh, a leftist uh, tactic. I I don't know. I um, I mean I'm just thinking about the numbers. Like ten ten million. I I think we often uh, trivialize what a billion is. I'm closer to I'm closer to being able to pay the city ten million dollars than that ten million dollars is to the fourteen point whatever billion uh, that the that the university has as a uh, as an endowment. Uh, like that's like pennies when you're when you've got hundred dollar bills in your wallet. I would think that you could. I would think that you could take a portion of that, uh, those billions, and invest them, and pay the uh, pay the payment in lieu of taxes off of the uh, the proceeds of that investment, without ever having to to do anything. Potentially. Potentially. Now. I don't. She may be right. She may. Uh, the the university may say, "Oh well, uh, we got to find that money somewhere, and we're going to raise tuition." Which you know, I think that goes into the question that I asked the other day, or at least you asked for me. Uh, you know, why don't we go down that road? We is, didn't have a chance to to take a deep dive on that topic. People it, over profits. Is everything about profits now? All right, let's talk about that. Set the stage, and then I'll we'll we'll play devil's advocate for the sake of a talk show. Show is yours. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm certainly not opposed to capitalism, but I, I see some, some problems. Uh, I some, mean, capitalism pays your mortgage. Some, cr- some cracks growing in, the, uh, in the, the dam. And at what point is uh, profit the only thing that matters? I mean, look at, uh, you don't want to pay teachers enough? Fine. You don't want to pay uh, bus drivers enough? Fine. You don't want to pay servers enough? Fine. I think we're looking at the effects of this all around us. You're fond of saying that capitalism always wins. What's I've gonna, just never seen it lose so what's far. Gonna, what's going to be the cost, though? I mean, I guess I have seen it lose so far. Um, I think it would be called um, uh, Vladimir Putin's Russia. Any kind of socialist country, but they're not really socialist. They all they all run on on capitalism in one form or another. Whether it's China or Russia or anywhere else, uh, none of them are truly, uh, you know, based on the uh, the theoretical uh, 
socialism that uh, has never actually existed. Uh, there, there's never really been uh, a pure socialism. It's all been some form of... Uh, uh, there's always been someone in control. There's always been someone taking the profits. that would say otherwise. Um, <laughs> Castro's Cuba. My family, Cuban. Mima and Poppy, my grandparents, Cuban. My mom, 100% Cuban. My mom, my Mima, and my Poppy, that's grandma and granddad, they literally in the cloak of darkness, mm -hmm. months before Castro took over Cuba, hopped on a battered barge and left an upper-middle-class lifestyle to come to Miami, Florida, and later Naples, Florida, where my grandfather worked as a ditch digger, and then when he physically could not perform ditch digging, he learned the craft of, of being a barber. Mima, my grandma, was a hotel maid, and my mom was put in third grade in an English-speaking school without being able to speak English, was ridiculed mercilessly, and till this, to this day, if you bring this up with her, she gets emotional because the kids in third and first, fourth grade were so nasty to her. She couldn't understand them. But you can tell when people are making fun of you, even in a different language, yeah, especially yeah. children. She still gets emotional to this day when this comes up. Mm -hmm. So they left Castro's Cuba because they realized that the future was no longer bright for them. They left home ownership, they left wealth, they left real estate investments, yeah. good jobs, vertical potential for a ditch digger's gig and a hotel maid's gig and to put their daughter in an English speaking school without her being able to speak English. Yeah. They took all those chances and made all those sacrifices because they didn't see a future for themselves in Cuba. You can make a legitimate argument that Cuba certainly is not a capitalistic country in any regard. Right. Okay. So this people over profits thing. I get what you're saying, and I'm empathetic to the plight of people over profits. But you talk about publicly traded companies. Publicly traded companies have a responsibility to drive return on investment to their shareholders. That's arguably their number one priority. Their number, what number one priority is probably not even their team members. It's driving return on investment to their shareholders. And I was having this conversation with a, um, a Darden student, okay? This guy is, the, the, the world is his oyster, this guy. He turns 30 on Saturday. He literally can do whatever he wants, okay? And we were talking about the consulting firms like, McKenzie and, and, and Deloitte. And we were talking about what's the role of these consulting firms, these big consulting firms, when it comes to Fortune 50, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies. And he said the consulting firms act, between, act as the go-between uh, between the C-suite, shareholders, and company team members. So what's the role of consultants when they're consulting for a company? What's the role? What's the job of a consultant in a company like, like Deloitte or McKinsey when they're working with a company? I think it depends on the... No, it's one answer. One answer? It's very clear-cut, succinct. Okay, go ahead. Maximize profits for the company. The or company is hiring the consulting firm to maximize profits. Okay. And oftentimes the consulting firm comes in and they're the fall guy. 
They don't have the relationships with the employees. They don't have the relationships with the C-suite. So the consulting firm can do some analysis on the model and say, here's how you maximize profits. And a lot of it is, is associated with layoffs. And the C-suite... Or scrapping the company. The lease, the C-suite and shareholders, they're not to blame when the consulting company says, fire 15% of your workforce. The C-suite can say they told us to do it. Shareholders can say, we don't feel guilty about this company maximizing shareholder value because those consultants, this independent party, said this was the right thing to do. It's the same thing Dr. Haas has done with the piss-poor performance for black and brown students in Almora County Public Schools from an SOL standpoint. What was Dr. Haas's suggestion with SOLs and piss-poor performance with black and brown third graders who are struggling from an SOL standpoint? He hired consultants. Dr. Haas and his cabinet didn't say, we're going to buck up and figure out the problem ourselves. They paid and utilized taxpayer dollars to hire third-party consultants because they will be the fall guys, the yeah. third parties. Yeah. City of Charlottesville does the same damn thing. Same thing. Yeah. Hire consultants. Consultant for Belmont Bridge. Consultant city manager. A consultant to find a permanent city manager. A consultant for the police budget. A consultant to appraise the land they're considering buying on High Street, the 21 acres that Wendell owns. Let's hire a third party. An appraiser's a consultant. Yeah. That's all they're doing. Mm-hmm. Put the meme back up for those that are watching. Please, sir. Carol Thorpe finds this hilarious. It is. You know who does not hire consultants to make decisions for them? Small businesses. You think I hire a consultant to determine what we're going to do with our real estate holdings or this podcasting network or our B2B business? Hell's to the no. I say, this is the decision we're going to make, and I have to fall on the sword if it's the wrong one. Mm-hmm. Or I get to celebrate a, a, a brief victory if it's the right one. That's why I keep saying you've got to run these governments with the lens of a local business owner, a small one. Yeah. And if you did that, the citizens would be for the better. Because you're running it with a mindset of fiscal conservatism, financially physical conservatism. I'm not talking social topics. Let's say oftentimes on this program, physically conservative, socially liberal. Say it all the time. Small government, less government, <coughs> less taxes. They're regressive. People over profits. Keep going. It's a good topic. Show's yours. Show's mine. No. <coughs> um, when, you know, when is, when is there nothing left? Uh, for whom? For anyone. I'm listening. We're, uh, you know, if uh, if it's all about somebody else, if it, somebody else makes every decision, uh, when do we take responsibility for for what's going on around us? Okay, how do we take responsibility here in Charlottesville? I, I'm I, I'm I'm willing to listen to learn. I have tremendous respect for your perspective. What do we do here? Charlottesville and Elmar County, Central Virginia, anything. I'm listening to learn from you, sir. I think we hold each other accountable and we help each other. And we need to, you know, I, I think I've said this before, we need, to, we, need to look to our, we need to look to our neighbors 
both for help and for those that need help uh, because we're not just, you know, we're not just living alone. We're all Charlottesvilleans or uh, County of Albemarleans. Uh, Albemarle Countyans? <laughs> yeah. And uh, at, at some point, you've got to look around and say, this person's struggling. Can I help? Otherwise, we're all alone. And what's the saying uh, when uh, when they came for when they came for this guy? I said I wasn't one of them. When they came for this guy, I said I wasn't one of them. When they came for me, there was no one left to speak for me. I'm I'm not against I'm not against capitalism. I'm not for socialism, but uh, but at some point, I think we have to say we have to take a look at what's going on and say how can we prevent this from destroying us? What do you think, viewers and listeners? Jump in. Thoughts, comments, perspective. Carol, Lonnie, Jason, Brittany. Brittany has issue with your socialism comment. She says, "How can anyone say there has never been real socialism?" You want to hit that? Well, I think, uh, and I'm not an expert, but I think the real phys- philosophical socialism was about uh, was about the the means of of production being in the hands of everyone, and we've never seen that. There's always been there's always been a government or an oligarchy, or there's always been somebody in power that controls controls the means of production and that's not that's not what socialism is supposed to be i'm not saying that uh, the true true socialism would be a uh, a better path but i'm just saying that i don't think we've ever seen true socialism there's always been uh you know china had uh mao zedong and uh and his political party Russia has always had some, you know, some, someone in power, uh, and in every situation, the worker gets screwed over, and uh, and it happens here too in uh, in capitalism. I mean, you know, we're talking about teachers who don't make enough money. We're talking about not having enough bus drivers because uh, because they're leaving and not getting paid enough. We're talking about uh, you know restaurants that are either closing down or or uh, having uh, opening for less hours because they can't find enough people that want to work for what they're offering. Viewers, listeners, thoughts, jump in. What do you make of Judas take? Thoughts in the feed. Warrior AG dropping dimes on Twitter. And by dimes, I mean knowledge dimes. Um, He says there are too many people in leadership roles who are afraid to make leadership decisions. Albert Graves says, how much are the consulting firms charging the taxpayers for these services? Great questions from Albert Graves. What do you think, viewers and listeners? Let's go to the King of Rio on Facebook. Jason Howard, who's watching the program. Jason, we love when you watch the show. Jason Howard says this. 
UVA, as a tax-exempt organization, buys more and more of the city and the county, taking the real estate off the tax rolls and pushing it onto everyone else. Would this be tolerated if it was a church buying up all this real estate instead of one of the largest employers in the area? How much can someone speak up against an organization they might one day be doing business with? Fair. Maybe it's folks are afraid to really hold Virginia accountable because Virginia is the big player in town. Not the city of Seville. It's the city of UVA. Maybe it's that. Yeah, it's a good take. Maybe it's the lack of institutional memory to see it all the way through. Not having back-to-back city councilors on back-to-back terms. You have a chance to do that now with Lloyd Snook. You have a chance to do that now potentially with Michael Payne. Brittany Gray says, it always gets worse, socialism and communism. The problem with socialism is it gives too much power to a government with good intentions and not enough defense to keep those intentions good. But that sounds scarily familiar to uh, pretty much every government. Yeah. That's true. Just saying. Of all the isms, communism, socialism, capitalism, capitalism seems to want the be be the ism that keeps people the most honest and holds them the most accountable. Because with capitalism, unlike communism and socialism, you are rewarded for working harder than others. Really? Yeah. You and I often have this debate. Whether you like it or not, and I'm not talking you in general, I'm talking people in general. Whether we like it or not, Charlottesville's become so expensive that folks are going to have to work one and a half jobs, maybe two jobs, if they're going to want to get ahead financially. Of course, there's folks in this community that do a line of work that pays them hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, they're not going to work, have to work a couple of jobs. Yeah. But a good chunk of the community is going to have to realize that the work week is now 60 hours, 65 hours. Is that tied together with uh, working 80, hour, 80 years before you retire? I don't know if you've seen that in the I haven't. In what's the that? Bring that to my attention, please. Uh, let's see. Just do it from memory if you can, for the sake of I time. I mean, it, it's basically saying that uh, rather, it's basically saying that what if the retirement age, what if you could work 80 years rather than 60 years before you retired? Uh, because so you're working longer but less hours? No. What are you doing? You're working the same hours, but you're just working more years because A, uh, we're, we're able, we're living longer, we're our bodies are able for longer, and our money isn't going as far. So when you retire, your uh, retirement fund nowadays may not take you as far as it, as it did 10 or 20 years ago. So the, the, uh, I think some people are pushing the idea that, well, maybe it's time for us to expand the, uh, the number of years that a, a normal person works before they retire. I mean, I, I don't expect 
If anyone who's a millennial and younger thinks that retirement is going to happen at 60 or 65, I don't think you're in touch with where the world's going. How are you going to retire at the same age that your granddaddy and your grandma did when you're going to live a decade longer than your granddaddy or your grandma because of the advancements in medicine and technology? It's a fair question. How, if, if you're still under the impression that 60 or 65 is the retirement age and you're a millennial or younger, you're not living in reality. Technology and medicine are making us live longer. So of course the retirement age is going to get delayed. That's common sense. Okay. And you and I are going to disagree on this topic. We have. And it makes great talk show fodder. And I'll disagree with you very respectfully in a conversational setting and as, oppo as opposed to hostility and aggressiveness. I appreciate that. Charlottesville is now a 65-hour work week town. Okay. I, I hope you find that as troubling as I do. I don't find that troubling. You don't? You no. think that's fine? You think that's great? That, why, do, uh, why would I find that troubling? I like work. <laughs> okay. I don't feel guilty for making my passion my profession. I don't. That's why I created this company, to figure out a way to monetize my God-given gifts. I mean, that's what we've done here, right? That's what you've done here? Yeah, you see it every day with the negotiation skill set, the human connection skill set, the communication skill set, the vision and risk-taking skill set. You see it every day. It's a 65-hour workweek town. And there's been towns and cities in America, Manhattan, Los Angeles, Chicago, for generations that have been 65, 80, 90-hour workweek towns. The difference is it's just hitting Charlottesville now. And that's a, a potential byproduct of the pandemic. You got digital nomads and finance refugees flooding Charlottesville and Almar County. And what do you think is going to happen when digital nomads and financial refugees flood Charlottesville and Almar County? What's going to happen? It's not going to be pretty. It's going to get more expensive. It's more expensive. It's way more expensive to live in Charlottesville and Almar County now than in March 2020 right before COVID. Because we got a boatload more people that weren't here three years ago that are wealthy and deep-pocketed, that are driving up the cost of living and driving up the cost of housing. Cannibalizing housing. But you don't see the problem there? What's I, the problem? The pr there's no problem, it's reality. This is, there's, there's, there's people that figure out answers and there's people that dwell with issues. We've been seeing the issues in places like Manhattan. I'm listening, are, I'm listening are, to learn. That are crashing because they can't keep doing what they're doing. And you can't turn Charlottesville into a place like Manhattan and expect people to accept that because it wasn't built as that. And I don't think people are going to put up with it if it becomes this, the norm. I don't think people will put up with it 
And what will happen is the ones that do not put up with it will be gentrified out of the community. Fair enough. And capitalism will determine who stays and who goes. Okay. And uh, just sake of conversation here. I'm listening to learn here. If someone is unwilling to put up, as you say, with Charlottesville and Almaro being a 65-hour work week town and not 40, if they insist on working 40, they're not going to have the financial resources to stay here. Right. And they will be gentrified out. Yeah. And you will be left with a town, Charlottesville and Almaro, that is people who know it's a 65-hour work week town, and that will become the norm. I'm just curious where they're going to get all their, uh, their workers. That's fair. I think, you're going to, I think that uh, those people that are left, I mean, you're talking about people getting gentrified out. What happens when the only people left are the, uh, are the upper class? Uh, we're, we're about to find out here. This is, what's going to, this is my prediction of what's going to happen. If all that's left is the wealthy... And if all that's left is the one uh, percenters in the upper class, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have a lot less restaurants, a lot less coffee shops, a lot less service provider, frontline employee businesses like music venues, dry cleaners. Teachers for your schools, retail. bus for your buses. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm surprised you... You didn't have an answer when I asked if this doesn't uh, worry you. Of course it worries me. But what's the solution? The solution for my family is not me working 40 hours and not getting ahead. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines and keep doing the status quo and watch as my peers and my neighbors and those that I encounter in life Work outwork me. That's that'll never happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's just the. I, I will not feel guilty. Oh, I know. For working hard, being successful, and taking strategic risks that pan out. Yeah. No I shaking. will not feel guilty. And. Folks don't want to hear this. I'm sure what I'm saying is pissing, pissing some people off. It's a 65-hour work week town. It's not 40. Suck it up. In five years, will you be telling people that it's a 75-hour work week town or an 80-hour work week town? It could head that way. It could head that way. The reality is we have a university that's world-renowned Graduating students, and in their four years on grounds at UVA, they have the best four years of their life. The best four years of their life. And that experience, omni-experiential education, UVA, that omni-experiential education at UVA burns in the subconscious of students who will wax nostalgic down the road of moving to Charlottesville, launching a business, pursuing a career path, because their four years at UVA were so special. 
Okay. And that phenomenon is going to happen every single year. All right. And the people being, the people graduating from UVA and, and birthed into the workforce are the best of the best academically. And one of the best of the best academically spends four years at UVA and comes out with a badass job because they're the best of the best academically and then chooses to move here either after graduation or a little down the road, they're going to be coming here with deep pockets and vertical professional potential. That's just a phenomenon that is Charlottesville and UVA being in the same spot. Okay. Would it be different? Here's a question. Would it be different if the school was, what's a lower tier academic university? I don't want to throw shade on anyone, okay? Because maybe they graduated. Would it be different if instead of the number one public university in the world, UVA, would it be different if the school that was in Charlottesville was the number 500th public university in America instead of number one or number two or number three, wherever we're at now? Hell yeah, it would be different because the caliber of student graduating or transitioning or assimilating through the university won't be the one percenters academically. So when they graduate from UVA, their career path is not going to have the same vertical trajectory as a UVA student would. So okay. when they think about their four years of college, and if they choose to return to the area where they went to school, they're not going to come with the same bags and stacks of paper. Money. You disagree? No, I don't disagree. I, uh, you make a compelling case. Uh, I'm not sure what the case is for, but uh, it's, uh, it's troubling. Viewers and listeners, thoughts. Lonnie Murray's got some perspective he wants to offer. Lonnie, you make the program better. You're welcome to come on the show anytime you want, sir. The problem with capitalism, he says, is that it frequently fails to account for externalities. Locally, those externalities include impacts to the environment, loss of affordable housing, and inadequate infrastructure. That's not to say that capitalism is bad, but it does mean that intervention is necessary to account for those externalities, be it taxes, school programs, regulations. He also says you could be in a capitalistic autocracy. That was arguably the case at times in U.S. history, and it wasn't necessarily better. The mm -hmm. five-day work week, minimum wages, safety protections for workers, all those were arguably socialist reforms against the robber barons of the 19th century. Really, it's best to think of capitalism and socialism as... A continuum. As a continuum. Not two adversarial extremes. And I think not that's, two adversarial extremes. What I do you think, think of that? I think that's very well put. Yeah, it's very well put. Yeah, there is no... Catherine Lochner says... There's no pure anything. Catherine Lochner, I agree to disagree with you on this statement, Catherine. Catherine Lochner, who at one time ran for Almore County School Board, says... People will not put up with 60-hour work weeks. That's what I tend to think, but Jerry uh, says that uh, I, the world is changing. And I, people I don't have, have a crystal to... ball. I know. I don't have a crystal ball. But if you, if you work 40 hours a week, how many you work about? 43 hours a week, don't you? No, I probably work more like 50 hours a week. Okay, close, somewhere between 43 and 50. And I work somewhere between 65 and 80 is it the person who's working between 65 and 80 
going to get ahead financially more than the person that's doing 43 to 50? I mean, that's depends on a lot of factors. Uh, but most likely. If they're making, yeah, if they're making the same, if they're making the same hourly wage. If they're wage, creating widgets certainly. and they're paid to make widgets an hourly rate and one widget maker is working 75 hours and the other widget maker is working 47 hours, the 75-hour widget maker is going to make more money. Yeah. Okay? Look around. Look around. It's... What did the real estate assessments go up in the last three years from the start of COVID to now? Real estate assessments have gone up what? 25%. 12% every year for the last three years? Something like that. The probably. cost to own a home from a real estate assessment standpoint, on average, has probably jumped 36 points. Well, they don't add up quite like that, but... What do you mean? Because well, they're worse. They compound. Fair. It's not just 12% in 2020, 12% in 2021, and 12% in 2022 for a total of 36%. The 12% in 2021... Is, is on the yeah. 12% and 20 They're compounded. Yeah. yeah. It's worse. You're right. It's worse. It's worse. Yeah. You're going to have to work 65 hours a week to even manage compound assessment increases. Yeah. It's terrifying. And if you don't, you're not going to be able to afford your house. People we're, will not have a choice around here. We're already seeing it. Your friend. Who? Which one? The man in black? Yeah. Dude, he came over for Super Bowl Sunday. We're talking a fifth generation. My buddy is like 63, inner circle friend. One of my best friends in life. Literally. So Five straight generations. He has lived in the same house in Fry Springs. He grew up in this house. He's the fifth generation homeowner of this home. He told me on the Super Bowl, a guy I've known for 23 years, actually I met him after UVA. I've probably known him for 18 years. One of my best friends. He breaks the news and says, I can no longer afford our house. My wife is retired. He works part-time hours as a mechanic. And he said the assessments and the taxes for this house have made it impossible for him to keep it, despite being the fifth generation owner and him telling me on multiple times of the 18 years of us knowing each other that he was going to die in this house. So I He's hate, moving to South Carolina. I hate to do this. I know he's your friend, and, and so uh, I don't like to ask you this question, but would you say that it's sad, but he just didn't want to work enough? No. I'd say to him this. I'm not asking what you say to him. I'm asking you what your take does. Is he was he lazy and just didn't want to work enough to well, keep the place? The first thing I advised him on was to pursue real estate tax relief. The the short window that City Hall offers to to pursue a little relief on the tax burdens he's facing. That's the first thing I did. But yeah, but I think you said that uh, he he owns it outright. It's a fifth generation. They got no debt on it. Right. Well, they got the real the tax debt. But they don't got a mortgage debt on it. Right. He ain't going to get the real estate tax relief. Yeah. The Fry Springs house, although it needs some TLC and he would openly admit it, 
it's probably looking at half a million dollars because of the location. Yeah. Literally. Mm-hmm. 500 grand. Sell it. He's got people knocking on his door trying to buy it. No doubt. Doesn't even have to list it. Oh, I'm sure most people in Charlottesville get uh, get those little uh, those little postcards in their mail that said, "Hey, I want to buy your house for cash." He, he take it a step further. His neighbor down the road, their kids want to buy the house, and they'll do the transaction without agents. So he gets the full five hundred grand and not a six percent kickout commission to agents. Yeah. No, I listen. I was empathetic. Oh, I'm not saying you're not empathetic. I, I, I explained to him there's the real estate tax relief program. He responded to me, we have too many assets to qualify for that. I didn't say to him, I, you, sh- you should have worked harder. I, I'm not saying that you're not empathetic to your friend. But, but, but there, if he had but worked there harder, a... there would have been potentially more money to cover this overhead. Okay. Not working 40 hours right now. He's working a part-time gig. Yeah. He's 63. Part-time. Mm-hmm. Catherine says family will win out. I, I respectfully disagree with you on this, Catherine. I think millennials and younger are realizing this is the world they're living. Carol Thorpe says, what does don't put up with it mean? What does it look like? Does it somehow energize lazy voters and translate at the polls? Does it mean the 40-hour work week chooses to cut out all luxuries and downsize to be able to equal other salaries? Squeal by. What's that? Squeal by or squeak by on that salary. What do you make of that comment? Uh, Sometimes sometimes I try to, I have a hard time connecting, uh, don't put up with, I'm, um, Kevin Yancey says, you just explained why I moved from the area to Waynesboro. Yeah. Lisa Costello, being a business owner and profiting, working 65 hours a week is one thing. Working 65 hours a week, working minimum wage, making someone else wealthy is something else. That is definitely true. I 100% agree with that. But the person that's working 65 hours a week for somebody else could start their own business. But you just spent. They ep- could start their own business. But you just spent an episode. You just spent uh, an episode talking about what a bad idea it was starting that uh, that uh, kitchen startup. Yeah, the re- the restaurant incubator. Those are people trying to start a business. I don't fault them for their inter- entrepreneurial spirit, but starting a restaurant business when you know the failure rate of restaurants is even greater than the failure rate of starting a business in general, is not on paper a smart move. Okay. Over 90% of restaurants fail in their first three years. 
No. Over 80% no. of businesses fail in their first three years. The failure rate for restaurants is even greater. I would bet you the failure rate for restaurants in a saturated market like Charlottesville, where there's no labor, is going to be even greater than the national average of the failure rate of restaurants of 90%. No doubt. I'm sure not all of them are wanting to start what, you, what we think of as, uh, as a typical restaurant, though. My, my issue with the incubator was very straightforward. The city of Charlottesville is using meals tax revenue from restaurants yeah. to launch an incubator to birth businesses that are going to compete with the restaurants that funded the incubator. I and think that, that's a conflict of interest. Yeah, and I, and my I, other beef and with I the restaurant with incubator concept is this. It's New Hill Development Corporation is doing it. New Hill Development Corporation has an incredibly positive mission and the positive mission is to take a forgotten or disenfranchised demographic, African Americans in Charlottesville and Central Virginia. And enfranchise and, them. And, and franchise them and empower them. Mm -hmm. Invigorate them yeah. through knowledge, through, through, uh, through uh, resources, mm -hmm. through um, innovation and education. Yeah. Right? But if you're going to take a disenfranchised and forgotten demographic and empower and franchise them, I don't see that being through restaurant creation. It seems to me you're just you're saddling folks that come through this incubator with a career path that is arguably the most competitive in this market. Fair enough. Makes no common sense to me. I'm not knocking anyone. I hope to God they all hit home runs and success, man. You know as well as I do, I'm the biggest champion for small businesses out there because I'm one myself. Yeah. I hope to God they hit a home run, Judah. Mm -hmm. The likelihood is they're not. And yeah. the likelihood is when they get out of this incubator and they start their restaurant, they're going to put personal guarantees on commercial leases. And when you sign a commercial Some lease, it's very different than a residential lease. A residential lease is one year. Commercial leases are three, five, and ten. And if you come out of this restaurant incubator and you sign a five or ten year lease and your restaurant fails in the first three years, the national average is 90% of them fail in the first three years. Guess what? You're still on the hook for the rest of the lease. <coughs> and they'll go out. I, I know them. You know I know them. The landlords locally. And they listen to this show. You see me talking to them in here or chilling with them out here. They will take people's homes. They will I take people's it. homes. They will get your personal assets to make the lease solvent. <clears throat> That's my beef with this. I don't have a beef with people starting businesses. Yeah. Jump in here. Please, sir. <coughs> all, of that, all of that is fair. And what I, uh, what I appreciate most about the argument is the fact that, uh, is the, fact that uh, the city's property... Uh, the city's meal taxes are uh, are going to to pay for some of this, but I think uh, I think you overestimate the fact that all these people are trying to start restaurants. I don't think that's what's happening. No, I think some, some of the of them, people are starting like catering companies. Yeah, and I wouldn't start a catering company in this town. Okay, but. Uh, 
part of, I think, what this communal kitchen is about is providing those people with a place so that they don't have to to sign five or ten year leases. And that's I'm just going to put that out there. It's it's not. <coughs> How do you launch a restaurant without having a place to sell to serve customers? We've seen people come through here, especially with the, uh, especially. Name one. Christina, what's her last name? Uh, name one. Let me look for names. Um, name one person that has a restaurant locally without having a brick and mortar. Exactly. Besides, besides food trucks, I mean, I'm not talking about people starting restaurants without a restaurant. What are you saying? I, I'm talking about people that start, like you said, catering companies, people that do baking. There are people that bake out of their homes and deliver out of their cars. Not everything has to be a, uh, you know, a 600-square-foot, 1,000-square-foot restaurant. If, if with- I'm not trying to throw shade on anybody here, but if you think that you're going to go through a restaurant incubator to then create a baking company out of your personal kitchen at your house and make a living doing it in one of uh, the most expensive markets in the Commonwealth where area median income for a family's household is $111,000. Area median income for a household. Mm-hmm. And you're talking two, two people working there for an AMI of $111,000. If you think you're going to go through this incubator and create a baking company that you're going to run out of this house and make that kind of money, you're not in touch with reality. Okay, but there are people that are doing it, so anyways. Uh... Those are the anomalies and not the norms. And creating businesses tied to anomalies that's... and not the norms is not a good way of starting a business. But that's, that's how you started this business, no. right? No. It was not. How I started this business was I worked at the Daily Progress, where I was the youngest editor in the history, NBC29, Monticello Media, and ESPN Radio. I worked at four companies that legitimately taught me content creation, how to monetize the content, and how to manage staff to help create the content that you're monetizing. And I utilized 2004... Six and a half to seven years of professional experience working for direct competition of us now to launch this. Okay. And the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that big of a risk. All right. Because I was already doing it at the time. Just did it for myself. I don't know. The Detroit pizza guy is Andy Argod, Kevin Yancey. He makes pizzas out of his house. That is his side hustle. That's not what he does professionally for a living. He's working 40-some hours a week for someone else and then doing a side hustle of 20 or 30 hours a week slinging pizza pies out of his home kitchen. The Detroit pizza guy is legitimately working 70 hours a week. He's told me that. Making the pizzas through his Instagram account out of his personal kitchen in his crib is his side hustle, his second job. And you ask him, why are you doing this side hustle? You know what he says? 
because I want to do better by my family and make more money so we can do more with it. He's working a full-time job and then baking pizzas for people when he leaves that job and gets home. He's legitimately sacrificing time with his kids and his wife to do this. Unless they're helping make the pizzas. Maybe. I wouldn't be surprised if they are. I make it a family business. Just like my better half is in this year. And nothing would be greater than seeing our sons do it. No pressure, boys. You're four years old and ten weeks old. Zach, just try not to spit up the milk on, on me and mom, please. Just keep that in your mouth, if you could. Formula you'll, you'll milk. get over that eventually. Spit up formula milk smells horribly. I believe it. Oh my gosh, it's a horrible smell. It smells horribly going in from the bottle to the mouth, but coming out, for some reason, the formula smells even worse. Does anyone know why that is? I think this may be a sign that... Uh... Juan, you say, admit that you were very fortunate that your business venture worked out the way it did. I wasn't fortunate. I worked my ass off. I took my entire life savings and put it into this business. I launched this business when I was 25 years old. I had like $24,000 to my name. I literally put it all in there. I had no customers for six months, one. I was about to default on my mortgage in the villas at Southern Ridge, and then I welcomed two of my best friends to rent rooms from me for the sole purpose of not defaulting on the mortgage. And in the first three years of launching that business, I worked four other jobs besides my own business. You you also had family do a, uh, what did you call it? uh, My family did an intervention, begged me not to start this. I don't think you're. I don't think you're making the the point you think you're making. I. I what's the point I'm trying to make? The point you're trying to make is that you didn't. This wasn't a risk that you just like you made it because because you had the skills from your previous jobs, but everything you're talking about says the opposite. It says that this was a risk and it almost didn't work out. And I appreciate that you worked your ass off, and I appreciate that you made it work. But that's what a lot of, the, of other people are trying to do. And I chose a line of work that was not the most saturated field in Charlottesville. Yeah. That was the strategic risk. Launch a business where there's not competition. The incubators creating people, entrepreneurs... And, and, and birthing them into the most saturated and competitive field possible. I would argue that rather than that take on it, it's providing a resource for people that were going to do that anyways. Well, I hope that's the case. I hope it's the case that the folks coming from the incubator, we're going to do this no matter what, so at least if they're going to do it no matter what, they're going to get some knowledge before doing it. I hope that's the case. I, I hope it's not the case that they're getting folks that are on the fence about doing this and persuading them to do it. I find it hard to believe that they'd be going around trying to persuade anyone of anything. I, that's just my take, though. And I, Juan, I 1,000% disagree with your comment, Juan. 1,000%. The business had success because... I was willing to sacrifice 
everything for it. Everything. Girlfriend, vacations, friends, life. Everything. Taken one vacation in the entire history of this company, our honeymoon, and we came back knocked up. True story. Opening another line of ridiculous amounts of work. Whether we want to admit this or not, and maybe we don't want to admit this, but Charlottesville and Almore County have turned into a 65-hour work week region. And those of us that are willing to admit this sooner than those that are not realizing this is the case, the ones that are grinding the 65 hours are the ones that financially are going to have the leg up. And by leg up, you mean be able to stay? By leg up, I mean the opportunities that come with having some money. And one of those opportunities that come with having some money is being able to stay. All right. Being able to buy a larger house, investment property, being able to offer their children some financial opportunities, being able to pay for four-year colleges or private school, whatever it may be. It's not just for the moms and dads or the moms and moms or the dads and dads, but it's for their children as well because it's generational. Some folks realize it's a 65-hour-a-week town, and they do that. Others may want to work 40 or 45, but the reality is you're going to probably get gentrified out depending on the line of work you do. And there are exceptions. Finance is probably an exception. Being a surgeon is probably an exception. Being a a specialist doctor, I would even say a general practitioner doctor, but a specialist doctor is probably an exception. I mean, you're not talking about exceptions. You're just talking about people that make money. There are specialist doctors that could probably work 40 to 45 hours a week that can definitely work 40 to 45 hours a week and no more. Yeah. Because they get paid so much. Yeah, those aren't exceptions. They're just people that get paid well. But those folks also went to school for a lot longer than anybody else to get to that point. So they earned it. And they probably have a boatload of student debt that they have to pay off. No doubt. It's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? You could certainly put it that way. Because not everybody wants to work that load. Instead, they would rather be with family and friends. And I get it. I get it. I absolutely get it. But look around. What does Keith say? He's got, I still got the slides from Real Talk. Keith Smith Show. Yeah. I can Lake put him, Monticello. I can put them up if you want, too. You, how about you put the, uh, the median sales price at slide two? 
Slide two. From Keith's show. All right. It is. And Bill McChesney is 100% right. If you're the entrepreneur and you're the business owner, you work all the hours necessary. It's almost impossible to take a vacation. If my wife was listening to this show, and I think she is, when I was on my honeymoon in Hawaii, I was doing a daily conference call with Judah from Hawaii and routine conference calls with clients from Hawaii, which meant waking up at 6 in the morning on my honeymoon for a 9 o'clock Eastern Seaboard call with him. 6 in the morning on your honeymoon. That math doesn't work out, but I know what it's you mean. It's three hours behind. No, it's not. Hawaii is three hours behind. No, it's not. Three hours behind Charlottesville. California is three, three hours behind. How, about, how much is Hawaii? Uh, let me see. Is it, not, is it more? Do you remember so. those conference calls while I was on the honeymoon talking with you? No, of course not. Laura, my wife brings them up often. What, your talks with me? She said, oh, you remember all the work you did on your honeymoon? Hmm. How many hours behind is it? It's a five-hour difference. Okay, even worse. I know. So I was waking up at 4 for the 9 a.m. conference call with you. Most likely. 4 a.m. Even worse. Put slide two on screen from Keith's show. Please, sir. It's up. Look at the screen. Lake Monticello used to be in the neighborhood for starter homes. Yep. Lake Monticello was the neighborhood in central Virginia that a first-time home buyer went to. Look at the prices of Lake Monticello from 2018. The median was 230,000. Four years later, the median is 358,000. In four years, the starter home neighborhood has gone up a hundred. And 28K in four years. That's the starter home neighborhood, Judah. I know. Is 358 a starter home? No. There aren't starter homes. 358, 20% down on 358. You're putting down 70K plus, and that's before closing costs. You need 80 G's to buy this $358,000 home if yeah. you don't want PMI. Mm -hmm. Look at the numbers. Look at the screen, everyone. It sucks, but that's life, and life ain't fair. If you want fair, go to Pomona in spring. <laughs> I like that. Don't you think I'd rather be with my boys right now? Probably. Yeah. Absolutely. Of course I'd rather be with my boys right now. All right, 2 o'clock, 90 minutes.
Anything you want to close with? Yeah, I got work to do. What'd you learn this week? Why don't we close with that? Oof. I... We can put the meme back on screen. I think the meme's hilarious. People are asking to share the meme in the comment section. We could probably do that for them, can't we? Uh... My wife is watching the program, and she... Here's the meme. ...can absolutely remember me waking up at 4 a.m. multiple times for conference calls here in Charlottesville. Nobody's doubting you. Oh, I'm, I'm not doubting me either. <laughs> and I don't, and I do not feel guilty in the least. I know. Not in the least do I feel guilty about it. I know. Like, not even an iota of guilt do I feel. I know. And you know why that is, right? Because it was earned. That's why. All right. Next week, we're already working on some killer shows for you guys. When you see Judah Wickhauer around town, give the man props. The man is blossoming behind a microphone. And I think his perspective is valued and resonates and is a great compliment to mine. Two very different mindsets, two very different outlooks, two very different personalities. The talk show is about Charlottesville and Central Virginia. And it's about how you make this community better. And we don't always have answers. But we'll have the conversations. We try to have answers for you. But I don't see how this town is going to go or stay at a 40-hour work week town. The real estate is just too expensive. It's just too expensive. For Judah Wickhauer, known up and down the eastern seaboard as J-Dubs, my name is Jerry Miller. And this, the I Love Seville Show. Have a good weekend.